Welcome to the final message from our Isaiah Sermon Series. For the close of this series, we put together a special reading to reinforce the truths we've seen in Isaiah. Emmanuel, lead me. I must speak with the congregation. But Father, you, you know they'll come for you. I was sent. I must speak. You must help me. Lead me to them. Where are they? They're right in front of you, Father. Find the edge. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim stood above him, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Woe, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Oh, oh sinful nation, laden with iniquity, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And, and I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, go. Go and say to this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Oh, hear you deaf. And look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Who is deaf as the messenger whom I send? Who is blind but my devoted one? Who is blind as the servant of the Lord? Oh, they have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away every one to his own way. Oh, oh. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Walk by the light of your fires and by the torches you have kindled, you shall lie down in torment. Oh, the worm does not die, and the fire shall not be quenched. The worm does not die, 
and the fire shall not be quenched. Oh, to the teaching, to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Oh, Emmanuel, help me, I am weary with this people. Where? Sit here, sit here. I am weary with this stubborn people. Speak some word of comfort to me, my son. Something. The people, oh, the people who have walked in darkness. Darkness, great darkness. darkness. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. To the people who dwell in darkness, great light has been shown. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For the valleys shall be exalted, and the mountains and hills made low. For the uneven ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. All of this for the glory of the Lord. The Lord shall be revealed, for a child shall be born to us, and a son shall be given to us, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Emmanuel. Speak to us again. Speak to me of the, of the servant of the Lord. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a young root from parched ground. He had no stately form of majesty, nor appearance that we should see him or be attracted to him. Yet, he was despised and forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. By his chastening, we are healed, and by his stripes, we are healed. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way, but the burden of our sins have fallen upon him. Yes, on him, on himself. Oh, my son, yes. speak to us of the root of Jesse. And a young shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a young root from the, and with the branches from the root will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord Most High will be upon him, a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength and a spirit of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor, nor make decision by what his ears hear. But he will judge with righteousness the poor, and with fairness the afflicted of the earth. With the rod of his mouth he will strike the ground, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked, and righteousness will be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And in that day, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, 
lifted up above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God, God reigns. reigns. Listen, your watchmen raise their voices. They cry out in joy. For they have seen with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. So break forth. Shout joyfully, you waste places of Jerusalem. The Lord has comforted Jerusalem. He has redeemed Israel. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. And I too will rejoice over my people and be glad in Jerusalem. And there shall no more be heard in her the voice of weeping or the sound of crying. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. Even youths shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Therefore, in that day, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one speaking. Here I am. Here I am. Isaiah! We need to go. We need to go. Your we have servant to is a bit deaf, my son. Here in my ear. Isaiah speaking in the streets again, in direct defiance of the king. king. You have crossed him for the last time. He has put an order in for your death. King! Which king? King Manasseh! Uh, <laughs> you are young yet. You are young. You, you have time. Time yet. for what, old fool? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 
He brings princes down to nothing. And the rulers of the earth to formlessness. Yet he forgives. You can keep your forgiveness. Ah, ah, you misunderstand me. You have no need of pardon from me. You are taking me to see the king. Father. I saw him once, long ago, in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Battling idiot. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphim stood above him. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to free those who are bound, to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor and the day of the Lord's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn. For as rain and snow fall down from heaven and do not return, but instead water the earth, so shall be the words that come from my mouth. They will not return to me empty, but instead shall accomplish the thing for which I sent it and shall succeed in that which I purpose. The word of the Lord. For 60 long years, the voice of Isaiah was heard. For 60 long years, as he walked the halls of privilege in Jerusalem, in the palace, four kings, four kings heard him. And yet, the people, time and time again, and they turned their back. For six decades, Isaiah made prophecies under inspiration by God. Prophecies that he himself never saw materialize in hope, in faith. He went to his death at the hands of the wicked son of the good king Hezekiah, Manassas, they say, tradition says, took aged Isaiah and put him in a log and sawed into the log. But 2,800 years later, we have been studying the very book that he wrote. And we started this study back in February of 2018, and today we give the final installment of this study. It's clearly a, a book of contrasts. Um, in these 66 chapters, Isaiah's very name means the Lord is salvation. And throughout the book of Isaiah, God is described as the one who saves. 
the one to put your hope in. He is the Redeemer. So, for instance, in chapter 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength. He's my song. He's become my salvation. Or Isaiah uh, 25, He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God from whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord from whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in our salvation. Or Isaiah 41 says, Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, You men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. But in contrast to that, throughout the book of Isaiah, we see that God is also a God of judgment. He's a God who will deal very harshly with sin. He's not a pushover. He's not some kindly grandfather that will pat people on the head and say, boys will be boys. He is a God of vengeance. Chapter 3, the Lord arises to contend and he stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and princesses of his people. Or in chapter 24, behold, the Lord lays the earth waste. He devastates it. He distorts its surface. He scatters its inhabitants. The earth will be completely laid waste and despoiled completely, for the Lord has spoken this word. Or in the very last chapter of the book, in chapter 66, he wrote, For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many. A study of contrast, we see this over and over in the book of Isaiah. He is our Lord God, our Redeemer, the one who's who's going to be the Savior, the one we can trust in and put our hope in. But there must be repentance. We must turn from the sin or else judgment comes because He is also the divine judge. A study of contrast. We see throughout the book that Israel is exposed as the perpetrators of this evil so often, as all the nations are, but that Israel is a rebellious people. And so we read in the very uh, opening verses, listen, O heavens, hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, a donkey its master's manger, But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And in this opening scene of of Isaiah's book, it is a a picture of almost a, a court of law where witnesses are invited to stand and listen. Listen, O heavens and earth. From the heavens to the earth, the witnesses are gathered and the prosecutor stands and says, Look at my people. They have revolted. They are rebellious. They don't know. They don't understand. At the end of the book, chapter 65, I have spread out my hands all day long. 
to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my face. Contrasts. Because on the other hand, you see a people that is greatly loved by God, a people that he cares for. Listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurim, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. A rebellious people who have revolted against God, and yet God, in his mercy and his compassion, will pour out his spirit one day. Chapter 54, he said, For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Contrasts throughout the book. No greater contrast, though, do we see in Isaiah than the contrasts related to Jesus Christ, the exalted God. As a young man, Isaiah was minding his, his own business as he went to the temple one day, and Isaiah chapter 6 records what he saw. Turn with me to that passage in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, the commissioning of Isaiah. We wind the clock back to when he was first called by God to be in this prophetic ministry that lasted almost six decades. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another in this antiphonal song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, woe is me, I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This picture of this glorious scene that took Isaiah totally by surprise that, that brought him down on his knees, on his face, cut him to the quick. The image of this holy, holy, holy one sitting on the throne. Now this was none other than uh, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. A theophany of the, of the King of kings and Lord of lords. This was Jesus he saw. And we know that because in, in John chapter 12, John refers back to this in verse 41 of John 12 when he said, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. 
John said, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus, and he spoke of him. And this was the scene, Isaiah 6. The glory of Jesus he saw, and he spoke of this King of kings and Lord of lords on his throne. But what a contrast if you go over to chapter 53. In the 53rd chapter, this very king of kings and lord of lords is depicted totally different. 53 verse 1, Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised, he was forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. What a contrast. Chapter 6, Isaiah hides his face from this image of glory. The temple filled with the smoke, the brilliance of this vision of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, and yet in chapter 53, this very same one is now despised and rejected of men like 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 a man that people would hide their face from, not because of his shining glory, but because he was despised. He was hated. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Now that chapter 53 is central in the message of the book of Isaiah, as we've seen in our study. It is crucial and Isaiah, as he wrote this, has a very unique way of bringing out the centrality of that chapter. Early on at the beginning of our study, I mentioned that Isaiah is like a, a microcosm of the entire Bible. Um, remember, we have uh, 66 chapters, or 66 books in the Bible, and there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. The Old Testament of the Bible is 39 books, and in the New Testament there are 27 books. But in Isaiah, there's 39 chapters in its first major section, and there are 27 chapters in the second major section. Two parts to the Bible, two parts to the book of Isaiah. In the Old Testament, you see the emphasis being on law. Do this and you will live. Disobey this and you will be judged. And over and over again in the Old Testament, you see that theme of judgment. The first half of the book of Isaiah has that same theme. The first 39 chapters over and over again is the theme of judgment. You come to the New Testament, the last 27 books of the Bible, and you have this emphasis of, of grace. A redeemer, a savior has come. And the second section of the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, those last 27 chapters, mirrored the New Testament of the 27 books of the New Testament. 
it also is this theme of, of grace. God has provided. God has blessed. God brings mercy and undeserved favor. Now, in the middle of the 27 chapters of Isaiah, as in that last section of the book of Isaiah, as this theme of, of God's grace and His compassion and His, His redemptive plan for all of history, as we move to the consummation of that plan in a glorious kingdom that is about to come, in the center part of that last section of Isaiah, Smack dab in the middle of it is chapter 53. You've got 13 chapters, chapter 40 through 52, that precede it. You have 13 chapters, 54 through 66, that follow it. Right in the middle of that final important section of Isaiah is chapter 53. And it's this chapter that tells us about this suffering servant, the one who stepped from the throne of glory in chapter 6, to come to this earth as the suffering servant, the very one who gave his life as a ransom of undeserved, for undeserving sinners. Now, smack dab in the middle of chapter 53, the central verse of chapter 53 is the verse that tells us all we like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. See, God didn't want his people to miss the point that he had provided a way of escape from sin. He didn't want to have people miss the message of, of hope and of eternal salvation. The king had come, the Emmanuel, God with us, the child that was to be born, the son that was to be given, the suffering servant came. Isaiah 53 is that center chapter, verse 6, the central verse. The message of this very intricate book of 66 chapters is very simple. We could spend uh, the next two years, I could next week, you could come and I could say, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1, and we could start all over again because there's just so much depth and richness that has been left on the table with the book of Isaiah. But we, we could summarize the simplicity of this book by, again, Isaiah's name. The Lord is salvation. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. This world is a mess because man has revolted against God. The Bible tells us that everybody born into this world is born with a sin nature, inherited from Adam. All of humanity is marked by sin. A little baby is born, we have to train them to be good. Otherwise, they'll be steered towards that bent. There is within us all a propensity towards evil. It's sin. All we like sheep have gone astray, and each has turned to his own way. That's what sin does. It rebels against God. It says, I think I can figure out life. I think I can make it on my own. I don't think I need God. 
I can survive this world. And I'll trust that in the world to come, if there is one, my good works will outweigh my bad works. It's man's way of thinking. And Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. But God has a plan to spare sinners from his righteous wrath and judgment and to remake this world and bring it back all unto, uh, unto, unto a, a submission to his glory to make it become all that it was intended to become when he created it and said it is very good. One day, he says, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. One day, righteousness and peace and joy will forever mark this world. And it's only possible because of what we read in Isaiah 53. It's only possible because the one of Isaiah 6 who left his throne came to earth to bear our sin. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And Jesus came and he took all our sin and he placed it upon himself. He embraced us totally in an earth sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And the sin of the world was placed on Jesus, our iniquity, on him. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was cursed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we can now be healed. Isaiah, the Lord is salvation. And that salvation was secured 2,000 years ago when the suffering servant left his glorious throne and came to earth. He stepped from heaven onto a wooden cross, and he died for us. That was, that was the message of hope that Isaiah saw, that God had delivered to Isaiah, that Isaiah shared over and over and over again. But so often fell on deaf ears. It's no reason, no, no reason why Isaiah was called the fifth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Isaiah, because Isaiah like no other Old Testament prophet, spoke about the Lord Jesus and what was to come. The Emmanuel, the God with us, the son, the child, the root of Jesse, the one who has come to bear our sin. All of that so that he could remake this world, once for all deal with sin finally, and bring about a new world created now with glorious righteousness and justice and peace. And that suffering servant who would rise again from the dead, coming again one day to sit on his throne in Jerusalem so that the world would experience everlasting joy and peace. Shalom. It's a message that Isaiah shared 2,800 years ago, and it's as true and as alive today as it was then. You see, everyone in this room are like the sheep that have gone our own way, born in this world as sinners. And none of us can make it into a relationship with that holy, holy, holy God 
apart from Jesus Christ. And so at some point in our journey of life, at some point, we have to come and understand that we cannot make it on our own. That we'll never be good enough. That our good works will never, never please or impress a holy, holy, holy God. What Isaiah, though, looked ahead and anticipated, because he never saw it, he died in faith of this coming one who would bear our sins. What Isaiah had to look ahead for faith, in faith, we get to look back in 2,000-year-old history. For that one did come. And historical evidence and proof that he died on that cross, he bore our sin, he rose again on the third day. We get to look back and we get to put our trust in historical truth. Jesus Christ paid for our sins and rose again. And he's the only way into a right relationship with the holy, holy, holy God. And so this morning, have you put your trust in Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you stopped trying to earn your spot into heaven by being good? Because you'll never be good enough. And we have to come to that point at the end of ourselves and say, I can't, Lord. I, I, I understand it now for the first time. And transfer that our trust off of ourselves and unto Christ and Him alone. Because only Jesus can offer eternal life freely. I invite you right now, if you've never put your trust in Christ, if you're not sure you've done that, make sure right now, this very moment. How do you make sure? You say right now in your heart of hearts, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me and rose again. That rings true right now, Father. I believe it. And in the moment of faith, as you express that to him, the Bible says you are born again. You come into a new relationship with God. It was what was intended when 2,800 years ago God moved upon this prophet to pick up that quill and write on that parchment the words of Isaiah 53. God truly so loved the world. He really did give his one and only son. And it really is true that whosoever believes in him, that's it, by simple faith, whoever believes in him will not perish, will not come under God's judgment and wrath, but will have everlasting life. Jesus, I think, had that on his mind at the Last Supper when he gathered his disciples together that last time in the upper room. For in Luke chapter 22, he actually quotes from Isaiah 53. He was the fulfillment, and he knew it, of this suffering servant, this sacrificial servant. And he was about to give his life as a ransom, as a payment for our sins. Jesus was about to fulfill Isaiah 53. What an awesome, wonderful evening and night that was with his disciples, yet burden knowing that he was going to bear our sin on that cross in just a few hours. He was the fulfillment, and he carried it through as he went to the cross on that Good Friday, and he died for our sins in fulfillment 
of Isaiah 53. He's asked us, the Lord Jesus, to remember him. It's the first Sunday, the first weekend of, of the month, and as is our tradition here, that's what we do. We remember what the Lord has done. He has asked us to do that. Never forget. He said, never forget what I've done for you. If you are a guest with us this morning and you know Jesus is your personal Savior, then we invite you to participate with us as the family of God to remember the Lord. Again, if you're not sure about your eternal salvation, then let me say it again. A free gift is waiting for you. Not out in the lobby when you leave here, a gift from FBC for visiting with us. The free gift of eternal life if you believe right now. Down in F3, we'll participate and our elder Greg Perkins will lead there. Would you please bow your head in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Our Father, thank you for this message where it is asked, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the parched ground and has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken a man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, and yet we, es- we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us, we've turned to our own way. But Lord God, you have caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. And his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. But, Lord God, you were pleased to crush him, put him into grief if you would render him a guilt offering. And he will see his offspring, and you will prolong his days. Lord, your good pleasure will prosper in his hands. And as a result of the anguish of his soul, he, wa- he sought, he was satisfied, and by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, justifies the many, for he bears our iniquities. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. And now in obedience to you, we remember what you have done. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.